Welcome to Awesome Movie Year, the podcast where we look back at an awesome year for movies, which is every year. I'm Josh Bell, a film critic and writer, and my co-host is... I'm Jason Harris, filmmaker, comedian, bone vivant. All right. And you even got the little accent on it there. You know, you, if you're going to go, go all the way with this. Thing. I love it. So in this first season of Awesome Movie Year, we're taking a look back at the year 1994. Which was 25 years ago. I did the math myself. <laughs> nice work. Mm-hmm. And in this episode, we're talking about uh, one of the major documentaries of 1994, which is Terry Zweigoff's Crumb, uh, which actually premiered at the Toronto Film Festival in 1994 and uh, went on to a wide release uh, in 1995. And this is one of those interesting episodes where we took some creative license. This didn't win Best Documentary that year or probably wasn't the most uh, successful uh, financial documentary that year, which was probably Hoop Dreams, I'm guessing. Uh, Yeah, I'm not sure. But this movie actually was pretty financially successful. I know that. I'm just saying we chose this because we wanted to do a little something different, which we're going to do throughout the season. And this was a doc- documentary we, we both decided we wanted to talk about. Yeah, and I think this is uh, a very notable documentary. Like You mentioned Hoop Dreams, of course, which was a huge movie in 1994. Uh, but this was a big deal movie as well. Um, and uh, it did make a lot of money at the box office. I, I was sort of amazed that this movie made $3 million at the box office in the U.S. That's a huge number for a documentary. And, I mean, in 1994, that's the equivalent of we, we can do some more math, but I, you know, it's definitely more than $3 million uh, in 2019 dollars. Way to work on that math there, buddy. Um, <laughs> no, I agree. And it shows you the kind of fan base that uh, Crumb had, you know, in the 90s and throughout his career and everything. Yeah. Yeah. We're talking about, of course, uh, R. Crumb, Robert Crumb, the subject of this documentary, the uh, cartoonist. And he did have a fan base, but I think... Um, this movie, just as a movie, really generated uh, a large following with a lot of people who maybe didn't know uh, who he was. And you're saying it, it didn't win Best Documentary, uh, and that's true. It didn't win anything at the Oscars, and we can we can talk about that a little later. Uh, it did, however, at the 1995 Sundance Film Festival, where it played after it had played in Toronto, win the Documentary Grand Jury Prize. So, uh, I mean, that's a pretty notable uh, award. For this film, it also won the Best Documentary Award from the National Board of Review, the New York Film Critics, the LA Film Critics, the National Society of Film Critics, and the International Documentary Association. So pretty much every major award other than the Oscar. Yeah. What's up with that, Academy? (laughs) Yeah. Well, that between that and Hoop Dreams, uh, which I think were uh, awards wise, were actually a year apart. Um, They really dropped, dropped the ball. Hey, oh, there you go. Do you basketball think it, reference. This is a, a podcast question. Do you think if this had won the uh, best documentary for 1995, we would have not been talking about it because of, like you said, it was it started festival screening in 94, and that's why we chose it. And it's you know the IMDb release date is 94, but had right. it been you know, won the major award in 95. I almost feel like we probably would have left it out of this season. Well, maybe this is some important inside baseball stuff for our listeners here. Uh, my my personal feeling is that those IMDb release dates are kind of how you want to structure things uh, retrospectively, but uh, we, we could have had a spirited discussion about that. <laughs> it will never happen now. 
and so so Crumb, uh, in addition to winning uh, those various awards, not the Oscar, but all those other ones, and making a surprisingly large amount of money at the box office. $3 million, which in today's term is more than $3 million. Oh, I thought you were going to tell me the actual number. <laughs> I thought you were doing the math over there. We have a producer who's just sitting there. Our he's, producer, he's got Dave a pen Rosen. and paper. He's not going to do <laughs> math on that. Notes. I, I don't have a calculator. I got pen and paper. I can't do actual math. I like, uh, by the way, we haven't talked about it yet, but uh, great theme song Dave did for... Uh, of course, yes. Our uh, wonderful producer, David Rosen yeah. of the Piecing Thanks, It Together guys. podcast. It feels very American Pie laid, you know, by Jane to me. 1999. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> the movie, not the song. So, so uh, Crumb was incredibly well reviewed uh, at the time. Uh, you know, not only uh, retrospectively. Uh, Gene Siskel of Siskel and Ebert named it the best film overall of 1995. Uh, and Roger Ebert said, uh, "Crumb, which is one of the most remarkable and haunting documentaries ever made." tells the story of Robert Crumb, his brothers Max and Charles, and an American childhood that looks normal in old family photographs, but conceals deep wounds and secrets. It is the kind of film that you watch in disbelief as layer after layer is peeled away. Yeah, man. I mean, every time you bring up an Ebert quote, I got to say, his reviews like have really aged well for the most part, and he's really insightful. There's a reason he was so popular as yeah. a film critic. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, he's a great writer. I think we had, I can't remember what episode it was, but uh, there was some piece of phrasing he had about <clears throat> one that 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 uh, I was reading and thinking, that was such an elegant piece of writing. That was as well written as this movie that we're talking about. Yeah, once in a while he's he's quite wrong, but otherwise, you know. <laughs> well, I mean, even if his opinion is something that I disagree with, I feel like he's he's always really good at expressing, you know, his feelings about the movie. Um, and he actually did, I didn't listen to it, but he did a, a commentary on the DVD, on the Criterion DVD uh, for this movie. So he was a huge, uh, huge fan of Crumb. I didn't listen to it either. All right. Well, this is a, we didn't do any math. I we watched the movie, man. Yeah, that's uh, that's something. Dave, did you watch the movie? I did not watch this movie. <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> Dave, Dave is just here to take some notes and not do any math. Write our theme songs. Right. That's enough, really. Um, Owen Gleiberman in Entertainment Weekly said, uh, a portrait of the artist as misanthrope, as bad boy visionary, as joker and sex maniac, and finally as hero this is one of the rare film experiences that has the giddy effect of being a nightmare and a party at the same time. Uh, disagree on almost all of that. Really? I don't think it was much of a party, you know? Yeah, so. I mean, I think there's some fun in this movie. Yeah, there is definitely some fun. Also, I would debate if he's a misanthrope. He's got a wife, you know, he's, he's uh, always out in public, uh, you know? So. Yeah, that doesn't mean he's not a misanthrope. Uh, you can hate people. And so we, we talked about clerks, right? You hate people, but you love gatherings. You don't oh, recall yeah. that, that yeah. line between Dante and Randall. I agree with that. I, I mean, people, as you know, my, uh, my life philosophy is often people suck. Right. right and yet you are, uh, quite a social person. Yeah. Not you are dear listeners. You're all great. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, uh, finally, uh, Marjorie Baumgarten in the Austin Chronicle, uh, the movie tells us a lot about Crumb's artwork, about its style, its history, its roots, and its repercussions. Though Crumb is packed with information and telling details, the movie's objective is hardly art history or a survey of Crumb's place in the world of comics, which was something that I found interesting about uh, this movie. Uh, the movie aims for broader subject matter to discover something about the role art plays in the life of the artist 
and about how the release of art may indeed allow the artist to function as a stable human being. So I think those are both interesting ideas that we can talk about, uh, whether this movie is an art lesson uh, or how it kind of balances that with the, the personal story and the way that his art makes him slightly less crazy than his crazy brothers. Yeah, I mean, uh, that is an interesting review and it brings up a lot of good points to discuss. Yeah, so um, that's a little look at the history of uh, this film when it was released in 1994 and 95. And uh, we'll come right back and talk about our thoughts on Terry Zweigoff's Crumb. Dave, watch the movie before we come back. <laughs> Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. We are talking about the documentary Crumb by Terry Zweigoff, uh, which I really liked. Uh, I had seen this... Um, at some point in the past, I don't remember exactly when, but uh, it was it was very enjoyable to revisit. I watched it when uh, back in my days of working at Blockbuster Video. Um, I remember we used to get a lot of free rentals and I watched this one on VHS. Uh, I would like to say that our Blockbuster Video did not have a staff pick wall. And uh, I feel like we could have done better because I would have liked to have had my own section of staff picks right there. Would this have been one of your staff picks? I don't think so. Uh, I I mean, you know, I think I watched it with a deeper purpose this time around. And uh, it's not an easy th film to watch. I mean, I know you could you like it, but and I don't dislike it by any means. But man, it is pretty brutal. Like, um, you know, that family. Um, which they go into a little bit, but not, you know, too in-depth. Like, man, they fucked up their kids pretty hardcore. <laughs> then, uh, sorry for the language, but that's the truth right there. Yeah. No, you're right. It is It is tough to watch. But I think, uh, you know, we had, we had that quote that you said you disagreed with uh, from Owen Gleiberman in Entertainment Weekly, who says it's a nightmare and a party. I, I do think this movie is entertaining and it's, it's fun in a lot of ways. I mean... Crumb himself, Robert Crumb, not the brothers, but even the brothers too, especially um, uh, Charles, have a very morbid sense of humor about their messed up life situation. And uh, I think it's it, it even probably made me laugh a handful of times. I, I agree with that. And Charles, who killed himself <laughs> one year afterwards and had right. attempted to multiple times yeah. before, uh, which is sad, you know, uh, he, he did have a very uh dry like incisive sense of humor he was probably the funniest character in the film and you could see this is this is uh crumb's older brother who really started him and kind of pushed him into comics and they did comics you know they had their own like kind of cottage comic right industry starting out together man he revered his older brother so much and you could just see he wanted his brother to get credit and to succeed and all the things that um he was getting his brother was not who was still living at home with the mom and uh it was kind of sad in that regard and it was also kind of sweet that he revered his brother in that way yeah i mean it's certainly sad there's a lot of things in this movie that are sad uh the relationship with both brothers uh as much as as crumb as robert seems to do everything that he can to help these brothers that he obviously loves and and both of them have this extraordinary talent that they haven't been recognized for while robert has been recognized but now it's interesting is they both have been recognized in their own way right like, yeah um was it at the end of the movie they mentioned that um after charles killed himself uh that there was like a um a groundswell of interest in those notebooks that he had where he was just kind of drawing 
oh uh, yeah figures, like right just uh lines 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 yeah. lines vertical yeah. lines and uh the mom had thrown all of them out or most of them out because she um didn't think anyone would want them was that in the movie or was that in no research? i think that might be something that you looked okay, up that, but that, that is something i researched right then, right so. that's yeah. sad there yeah that is that is sad and um but you're right that they're um they're i think this movie created a level of interest in those brothers. I mean, Robert himself had already been famous, although I think this movie increased his fame, but the brothers really were not known as artists in their own right, I don't think, until this movie uh, right. allowed that. So if you don't know, Robert Crumb, uh, Keep on Trucking, Fritz the Cat, and uh, Zap Comics, probably the three most famous things he did, you would say? Yeah, I mean, he kind of talks at the beginning. I think the movie opens with him making fun of the Keep on Trucking image and making fun of the Fritz the Cat movie. Uh, and and really kind of just, yeah, which he hated, right? So. Which he hates all the things that he's famous for, basically, uh, right? But it had afforded him a very nice lifestyle. Yes, um, where the movie takes place, he and his family are about to move to a small village in France where they still live, I believe. Uh, yeah, they do still live there. I think. Um, I mean, his daughter Sophie is, of course, an adult now, and I don't know if she still lives in France. She's an artist uh, as well. Uh, yeah, she's a cartoonist and an artist as well. And then, yeah, to add to the sadness, his son that they show in this film died right. in a car accident uh, at like age 40. Yeah, I saw that. It was I thought it was right before he was 50, but as our listeners can tell us, math, not our specialty. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but I mean, at a young age, right. very sad circumstances. Yeah, and he talks about, the son talks about how there are times where he wants to like hug his dad and he just doesn't feel comfortable doing it because there's no real affection between them. But you, but that doesn't mean that they don't love each other. That's just the relationship that they had. I wanted to get back to the brothers and the family for a second because there are also two sisters that didn't want to appear on right. camera. So there's a lot of like just uh, unseemly stuff, shall we say, or yeah. like uh, going on with that family where... Uh, the dad was like a hard ass and abusive towards them. And the mom was uh, pilled up junkie for the most part. And still, apparently, the right. way they show her briefly in the movie, when she agrees to appear on camera, she doesn't seem to be quite all there. Yeah, that's true. And um, so the three brothers, if you look at what was so like striking is Robert Crumb became this real huge counterculture artist. And, you know, he was... Uh, uh, experimenting with psychedelic drugs and that's how he became like the first huge artist of that style and meanwhile his older brother and his younger brother who are equally as talented in their own ways one of them is living at home and has to be on antidepressants and ends up killing himself and the other one lives in a men's hotel which is <laughs> which is pretty depressing when they yes. show that and everything as well yes. but Maxon, the one who lives in the men's hotel did go on to find his own success in his own ways but uh all of them, even Robert Crumb, you could tell like socially very awkward, shall we say. Oh, yeah. Awkward is an understatement. And I mean, Charles talks about how he, you know, never was able to have a relationship. He never had sex. You know, he died a virgin or what, at whatever age. Yeah, I was doing some research on that. And, you know, there's the whole thing where he had a crush on uh, he was a kid and he had a crush on another boy actor. Oh, uh, oh from, yeah, yeah, they talk about right. that in the movie. Treasure, the, the Tre Madre. Treasure Island. Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, they talk about, uh, Robert talks about them watching that as kids and how they made comics inspired by it and that Charles had this obsession with the young, uh, like, 12-year-old actor who stars in it. Right, and Charles was similar in the age range, right? Right. And he thought what he was doing was wrong, 
whether it was gay or pedophilic or uh, pronouncing it that yeah. wrong. But, um, but you know, but that just shows like w- how different could his life have been if they had gotten him some treatment for, you know, whatever he was feeling at the right, time. Right, right. I mean, and even in the movie where he's on medication of some kind, it doesn't seem like he's getting proper treatment for whatever is is wrong. It's with almost him like or, just dull the pain. Right, type thing, right, so. right. I mean, and and this is 25 years ago. Maybe if this was now, he'd have a better understanding of how to handle mental illness like that or how to handle uh, an alternative kind of sexual desire that people in 1994 were more likely to sort of sweep under the rug. And especially in the time when these people were growing up in the fifties and sixties, you did not talk about this stuff at all. And crumbs, uh, much of his art is, you know, kind of his own dealing with his own sexual desires, you know, and the, um, and what he likes and whatnot. But, um, I did want to talk about the form, like, like you had mentioned in the review from, uh, the Austin uh, newspaper there. Oh yeah, the Austin Chronicle, Marjorie Baumgarten. I did think that was interesting. Is like you're what you're not getting is like this retrospective of like, and then I did this, and then I did this. This is Terry Zweigoff, you know, who most of us know from Ghost World and yeah, Bad Santa, one of my all time favorites. Yes, right. So he filmed this over nine years. You know, it took a lot of permission uh, for him to get the access to Crumb and his family and. Uh, he said that uh, I, I saw this quote uh, when he was making this film, he was making about two hundred dollars a month and living with a back pain so intense that I spent three years with a loaded gun next to my bed trying to get up the nerve to kill myself. So. Yeah. And I think actually, weirdly enough, one of the reasons that Crumb probably agreed to do this and one of the reasons that the movie works so well is that Zweigoff is as messed up as the people he's making a movie about. I would agree and it's kind of like this verite chronicle but he does have you know there are times where he does interview him and times where he's a fly on the wall and just kind of like the slice of life of this very famous artist who has to deal with um, all the weird things surrounding his life and whatnot. So yeah. that, that, I like the form. I thought it was an interesting format that we don't often see in documentaries now. Right. No, I agree. And I think, you know, people could be frustrated, especially if you don't know that much about Crumb's career, that you're not getting that that sort of chronology and the play-by-play of, of what he did and how he got to the point where he is at, at as the movie opens, but I think they give you enough. Yeah. And it's it's integrated well, where it's not just like, here's the history of his career. Now here's some stuff about his family. It all uh, kind of flows together uh, so that you get a full understanding of him as an artist and as a person. I agree. And I, I didn't know much about his art. And even having watched it long ago, I didn't remember much about it. I probably knew Fritz the Cat or whatnot. But I do think that worked well and it was kind of... Um, well transitioned between like, you know, hey, I'm giving a talk at this art school. So now we're going to kind of focus on this era of my art and going back to talking with his brother in the room or whatnot, or, you know, just kind of following him on the street, looking at him uh, disgusted at uh, (laughs) other human beings throughout. Right. How can you say he's not a misanthrope when we have those scenes of him where he's, you know, yeah, he's out in public and he's doing sketches and he loves finding interesting people to draw, but at the same time, he has clear contempt for literally every person around him in those scenes. And mostly, well, unless he's physically attracted to them, then he doesn't. But even then, he has total contempt. I mean, that's one of the things is that I think, I don't know if he uses this word, but he's clearly 
a huge misogynist and is is willing to admit that. Yeah, he he is. And I mean, that brings up certain uh, points of controversy that would not sit well uh, today. You know, he drew some uh, figures like the African-American, yeah. you know, women with uh, huge curves and very they're offensive, like by today's standards. So that's like one thing that that I think is worth discussing, like how well do certain aspects of his art hold up or would he what would he even think of them? Or would he just say, hey, this was a time and a place and this is what what I thought. Right. Time. Well, I think in the movie and and that was one thing I was thinking as I was watching and I didn't remember specifically from having watched it before is how would this art kind of play out now and are they going to comment on it? But the movie does. I mean, to Zweigoff's credit, he interviews that woman from uh, Mother Jones magazine who's very critical of the art and allows her to offer that perspective, uh, kind of criticizing the the misogyny of it and and as well as some racial aspects uh, that are even more dicey because the the way he depicts women, you could argue, is simply this is this reflection of his own psyche and his own messed up uh, mental state and which he fully admits to. Um, the racial stuff, I think, is is less excusable. Um, and especially certainly looking at it from a perspective of now. Um, but I appreciated that the movie didn't just sweep that under the rug and that it allowed that criticism to come to the fore. And, and I think I appreciate too, that, that Crumb is, is self-aware. He understands that his attitudes towards women are really weird and, and messed up and probably not healthy. Yeah, I would say that, but with the racial stuff, do you think those, uh, pieces of art were reflective of his opinion on race or what he thought the societal opinion on race at the time was. Yeah. I mean, I think that's what he would argue and that hopefully, I mean, he doesn't seem like he's a racist. Um, and, but it was interesting to me is that I kind of expected that argument that like, Oh, this is a satire of the, the popular conception of, of African Americans. But at one point he says like, I don't really even know why I drew that. It just popped into my head. And so he's kind of digging his own grave there. He was on a lot of drugs, as he, he was, admitted. Yes. And um, with some of the misogynist stuff, there's the character who, you know, her head is inside of her own body. So he's having sex with the woman. Their character is having sex with the woman who's headless. And then you find out she's out, he's the woman's head is inside the body. So it's like there's multiple levels of... Uh, of just uh, graphic, uh, you know, salaciousness at at the very least. Yeah, and that's the one where I thought it was it was interesting. They basically have him narrate that entire story as he's flipping past the pages, and I think that's one thing that goes back to the the idea of the movie being like sad and morbid, but also funny. Is that so many times when he's talking about things, messed up things from his childhood or his own weird ideas. He's laughing about all of it, even as he's acknowledging how disturbing it is. Uh, and that, too, he's going through that that story and talking all about how messed up this was. And at one point, I think he says, right, he couldn't even continue it because he thought it was too graphic and disturbing. But his wife told him to keep going and he's laughing about all that. Right. So, yeah, that brings up a bigger question, separating the artist from the art and, you know, seeing art through as a statement on, you know, thought and society and whatever is going on. Uh, so there's, there is a lot of interesting questions to come out of this movie. And for the most part, I was, uh, I, like I said, it's not the easiest thing to watch. 
but it is pretty riveting. And uh, the the times where I was taken out of it were the the more that Zwigoff sets stuff up. Like there's a dinner party sequence where he pans across the room and he catches little pieces of conversation. And it's almost like, okay, I'm going to catch you and then I'm going to catch you. And then we get this vibe and then I'm going to go to you and you're, you know, the publisher of this pornographic uh, magazine. And, you know, we're going to just hear you talk and say something about your life philosophy. And then we'll do a whole segment on you. That's where I got kind of taken out of it. I, I much more enjoyed the fly on the wall stuff or when crumb was kind of leading the discussion on his own work and his own life. Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't bothered by that stuff necessarily. I thought this movie had a good balance of that fly on the wall stuff that obviously it took Zweigoff a long time to get uh, the trust and to get the intimacy that he needed for that. And then the more typical documentary things, especially like the actual interviews with people like like Diane Hansen, the, the pornographic uh, publisher and, uh, you know, other artists and the, the art critic that they talked to. Um, I thought those those balanced well. And again, I like that this movie wasn't just like, here's some information and now here's a candid thing. It all flowed together to give you this full picture of who Crumb is. But did you feel that the art critic from Time Magazine was like, if he wasn't a real person, that is exactly who you would make up as an art critic? He's like, you know, oh, in the in the grand canon of art, you yeah. know, Crumb fits perfectly between blah, blah. You know, it's like he's one cup of tea away from being a caricature of an art critic and whatnot. Yeah, he was in his uh, like Australian accent, I think. Uh, not by my interpretation. No, definitely not. But the actual guy, I'm pretty sure, was Australian. Um, yeah, I mean, he's a real person, obviously. But, but in a way, he fits in with the overall tone of this movie, which is full of over-the-top personalities, including like Diane Hansen, the, the, the pornographic publisher, who I looked up a little on her afterwards, too. And I... She should have her own documentary. I mean, the career that she had as this uh, publisher of all these pornographic magazines, and she was so uh, gung-ho about porn as art and how important it was. And then when those magazines kind of went out of business because the, the porn business changed and nobody's buying physical magazines anymore, she now works for... Uh, I think it's Taschen, which is like a high-end art book publisher based in Germany. And she's their like head of sex books or something like that. Yeah. So most of the movie takes place in and around San Francisco, which yeah. is where Crumb was based for so long. And obviously the psychedelic drug scene. To me, it's just amazing that he took, that Zweigoff took nine years to make this movie. At some point I'd be like, I just need to put something out, you know? But. Well, I think part of that time is like post-production and getting the movie into festivals and stuff like that. I think they maybe only shot for six years, I want to say, which is still a very long time. Um, but I mean, you know, you had that quote where he talks about he's making $200 a week and, you know. What? Right. Or 200, <laughs> that's even worse. Yeah. Um, you know, and even maybe at, in circumstances like that, even if he wanted to put something out, he might not have had the opportunity because he doesn't have the distribution. He doesn't have a producer. He doesn't have financing. He doesn't have anything. He's just capturing footage, hoping that something will happen with it. Yeah. I'm wondering why. Uh, and as far as I know, he didn't. But it would have been cool if in his future movies, if he had used some of Crumb's music, you know, because uh, Crumb has that kind of old timey, you know, 1940s style band and everything. Uh, that would have been interesting if he would have referenced that in another film and whatnot. Yeah, well, Zweigoff played in Crumb's band. That was how they knew each other, um, which, which is something that doesn't come up in the movie. I mean, they don't talk about his music. I mean, he talks about music that he likes, right. but they don't really talk about music that he made. Um, maybe that was just 
felt like it was outside the scope of what they were doing with the film. I'm not sure why that was. There's a scene where towards the end where they're moving to France and um, the moving men come and it's raining out and Crumb is like so disdainful towards them. He just assumes they won't know any of the music that he likes and that they're going to break his records because they're big, dumb laborers. And it's like, he comes off as an asshole. Yeah, he so. certainly does. I, I Again, I don't know how you could say that you didn't think he was a misanthrope I, after watching this movie. I guess I just, you know, kind of associate misanthrope with like someone who is not really involved in public, you know? Yeah, like, like a hermit or, or something. something yeah, like that, right? yeah, yeah. I, I think that's that's, it can be that. But I think someone who is forced to deal with the public or has this sort of like contemptuous fascination with people, which seems like kind of crumbs thing that he he hates these people and yet he's drawn to them. Yeah, because he doesn't hate like, look, when he's talking about himself, so like art school, you can tell that he likes that. Right. And clearly his fame has given him access to flirt with a lot of women, which he loves. Right. Yes, so. Yes. Does he really hate that he's so publicly recognized, you know, and that he has all this going for him? I I would question that. And if NPR wants to pick up our podcast, <laughs> this is why. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know if he hates the, the recognition that he's gotten, but I think he I, I guess that's the thing. Maybe he doesn't hate the people that he interacts with, but I, it seems like he has this kind of contempt for them. And, and that even extends maybe to the people in his personal relationships you know there's that stuff with his ex-girlfriend where she's talking about how he treated her and how he wouldn't say that he loved her and that he you know moved right on to the next person while they were still together and you know he he seems like he maybe uh as much as he found her attractive and enjoyed their their sexual intimacy that that maybe he didn't have a whole lot of uh uh personal affection for her well that question that you make how much emotional capacity did this man have growing up with that right. family? Very little, it right? seems like. Yeah, Like he was living with his wife, his first wife, when he met his new wife. And then he lived with his new wife on the same property that his first wife was still living. Right. So that is uh, unorthodox to say the least. <laughs> so, I mean, a lot of this, I, I guess you could say, you know, hey, uh, a criticism could be wouldn't have been interesting to go deeper into like how all these uh crumb family members got so fucked up like they did touch on it but like man to do the number on the whole family like that there's a lot there's a lot going on there so um but you know overall it is definitely a film that uh holds up and is worth watching yeah oh absolutely i mean i i think it goes as deep as it could i mean in the amount of time that zweigoff spent on this movie uh i think allowed him to get as deep as he possibly could have, you know, from, from someone who didn't like doing interviews and didn't like, uh, delving into his personal life. I think it probably took a lot to get as much as he got in this movie. So yeah. And it's fascinating. And I think it's fascinating for someone, you know, I'm a comics fan, although the comics that I read are not necessarily the kind of comics that, that crumb created, but I certainly, would have been aware of his work before, even before watching this movie the first time. But I think it's fascinating for, for anyone, uh, regardless of whether you know his work or like his work or like the kind of stuff that he does. Uh, it's just a movie about, you know, humanity, man. It's about <laughs> fucked up relationships among people. A portrait of an artist is not a young man. <laughs> yes. Uh, 
So yeah, it's a it's a good uh, you know maybe even a, a a great movie. I mean, I certainly think it's a one of the best documentaries like of the '90s. We could say. I mean, I think it's. I liked it. It's yeah. a good movie. I think maybe. Uh, I mean, you liked it more than I did, clearly. But I just think maybe. Uh, I don't know, because like it's not that it was difficult to watch. Although it is difficult to watch. I think that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe I was a little more removed from it. Um, And like I said, there were parts where I got a little more taken out of it, but um, definitely recommend like, Hey, this is one to watch for film people. And, you know, people who want to place certain films in the, the, their correct areas of film history and whatnot. Yeah. I, I, I do think it's worth more than just that. I think it's a good watch for people who are interested in, depiction of human relationships in documentaries people are interested in art um it's more than just a film nerd movie so out of five um butts, what are we right? lar- large 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 rear ends yes curvy butts how many large uh, big butts are you giving it i i would give it i give it maybe three and a half or or four out of five i'm kind of on the border there and I'm on the border of three to three and a half. So, yeah, you when know, you give it a half crumb. of a rump, that's that's the kind of yeah. messed up thing that Crumb might include. In yeah, half an ass. Yes. There you go. <laughs> we should pitch it to him. Uh, we'll be right back and talk about the legacy of Terry Zweigoff's Crumb. Welcome back to Awesome Movie Year. We are talking uh, in this episode on our 1994 season about Terry Zweigoff's documentary Crumb. And um, we maybe disagree, not maybe not disagreed, but uh, I felt a little more positively about it than you did. Uh, it's, I mean, you know, as you said early on, like it's a party and a nightmare. I didn't take it as that. It's draining. It was a draining movie to watch. Yeah. Um, and and it, it is a bit draining. I, I think uh, I maybe I found it less so than you did, but. I think this is a movie that was, as we talked about earlier, it was very well reviewed and highly uh, awarded at the time it came out. And I think its reputation has increased, if anything, since then. I think it's it's often regarded as one of the best documentaries ever made. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, not It's not one of my personal favorites, but it's definitely a documentary for, like I said, anyone who wants to learn about the form. It's really interesting. I can't really think of many other documentaries that were... Sh- that were shot or put together in that way where it's that mix of fly on the wall, retrospective, you know, kind of historical lesson all in one. So um, there's a lot going on there and uh, I, it does definitely hold up and still ha- finds a lot of acclaim. Yeah. I mean, and I think, I, I don't know if I can think of a specific example right now, but I do think that uh, intimacy uh, in terms of the portrait of the artist in this film is something that, uh, other movies took from it that um, doing uh, a documentary on an artist that was less dry, that was less just about history and technique uh, is something that that going forward from here, more films uh, tried. Yeah, I think Dig is a great example of that. The uh, awesome movie about uh, the Brian Jonestown yeah. massacre yeah. and uh, the Dandy Warhols by Omni, what's her uh, name? Andy Timoner. Yeah, yeah. so... That's that came out about probably eight or nine years later, and it really kind of goes in and lets those guys tell their story. Yeah, yeah, that's a good example. I I am not sure of of others, but I'm sure there are some. And the idea of it—that's another movie I think where she 
knew them and spent a lot of time with them right. in order to get that intimacy. Yeah, there's hundreds of hours of footage, you know. So, uh, Crumb. Yeah, himself, I think. Uh, Robert Crumb. This movie did a lot for him as an artist in terms of his reputation. I mean, he was famous uh, certainly before this, but I feel like this movie brought his work to uh, a new generation. Well, yeah, and he comes off as, you know, with all the things we said about it, he's misogynist and some of his art comes off as racist. He, he's a likable character. He is very likable. Yeah, uh, I think we didn't talk about that enough, but even even his brothers, his, his even more messed up brothers. All likable. Right, the legacy uh, of this movie is to help the Crumb family overall. Uh, you know, we talked about uh, Charles, even though he, he died a year after this movie was completed, his art getting... Uh, a reassessment and Maxon, especially who, who didn't die, you know, who, who kept, uh, who's still alive um, and was living in that sort of horrifying uh, hotel um, had shows in fine art galleries and things like that, where he was far more recognized. Yeah. So there are some happy notes with all yes. the sadness yes. in this. And, and, and Robert Crumb uh, and his wife still uh, live in the South of France. And that seems to have worked out very, very well for them. Hooray Crumb. Yes. <laughs> Um, in terms of Terry's Wygoff, this was obviously the kickoff for his, uh, filmmaking career. We mentioned, uh, Ghost World and Bad Santa. Um, he seemed like he was going to be a major filmmaker after this. And, and after those two movies, he kind of fizzled out a bit. Yeah, man. I don't, uh, what else, where else is, where uh, have he, you gone Terry's Wygoff? Right. Or? No, I was wondering that too. Cause he made those two narrative films that were very popular. And then he made, uh, Art School Confidential, which was kind of a bomb and that's it. I'm pretty sure that's the last movie that he made. Um, so it's kind of a bummer. I mean, I think he himself, uh, again, part of the reason that he connected with Crumb and was able to make this movie is that he was also a screwed up misanthrope. And he's had a lot of complaints about Hollywood and the way his movies were messed with. So maybe he's uh, been labeled someone who's too difficult to work with. I don't know. But uh, it's too bad that he didn't have a bigger career uh, beyond those two movies uh, after this came out, because it seems like there's a lot of promise in him as a filmmaker here. We're ready for you. Come back, Terry. <laughs> Come back. Um, but I, one thing I also noticed, and I haven't seen Ghost World in a while, but the character, the Steve Buscemi character in that movie is very R. Crumb-esque. Yeah, that's, you could almost wonder if it was all, uh, or how much of that character is based on him. Yeah, I mean, the 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 affection for old-timey music and the the contempt for every person that he meets, basically, and the uh, kind of attraction to the curvy younger ladies, uh, all of that stuff is is taken from Crumb. Even though Ghost World is based on a graphic novel by Daniel Klaus, uh, I think Zweigoff brought a lot of his uh, crumb uh, interest to that movie as well. So the one other legacy thing that I wanted to talk about that we touched on earlier is uh, the way that this movie was snubbed at the Oscars. And between that and uh, Hoop Dreams being snubbed the year before, uh, actually led to a change in the rules of how they nominate documentaries for Oscars. So that's a pretty major impact that this movie had. Well, what, what, what was the change? What uh, I believe it was just in terms of like the makeup of the committee uh, and how uh, they were determining what gets nominated. Um, that uh, I think there was a quote from from Zweigoff where he said that previously the the committees was made up a lot of just uh, distributors of documentaries who would nominate their own films that they distributed. And I think it was maybe expanded a bit to more filmmakers, uh, allowing uh, a more diverse 
collection of movies to get nominated. And, and those rules, I think, have changed multiple times over the years because criticisms continue. Yeah, they've done a better job recently of nominating and also picking winners, I think. But uh, overall, like, the Oscars always get stuff wrong. So. They do. Although I think looking through, you know, when we were kind of coming up with what do we want to talk about in this season and looking through the list of like what were the documentaries nominated for an Oscar uh, that year, I don't know if I had heard of any of them. It doesn't seem like they really captured what the the zeitgeist was of documentary filmmaking then. Later, bros. <laughs> so any other uh, legacy points on uh, on Crumb that you want to mention? No. <laughs> Thank you for your input, Jason Harris. Uh, so that is Terry Zweigoff's Crumb. And uh, that is this episode of Awesome Movie Year. Uh, check us out on social media. We're on Facebook at Awesome Movie Year and uh, Twitter. And where else are we? Anywhere? Instagram. Yeah. All Awesome Movie Year. AwesomeMovieYear.com as well. Subscribe and like us. iTunes and uh, Stitcher and wherever else you might get your podcasts. Personally. On your old timey radio. If the if Robert Crumb gave you an old timey radio or phonograph, you know you want to listen to the pods on there. Yes, we're all for it. Uh, I can be found on all the socials at Jason Harris Comedy or Jay Harris Comedy. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Signal Bleed and on Facebook at Josh Bell Hates Everything. And our producer David Rosen has his wonderful Piecing It Together podcast which you can find on all the same places you listen to this show. And you can find us on social media at piecing pod. And also just wanted to mention anyone looking to get into crumb. We've got lots of crumb stuff at wax tracks records here in Las Vegas. Oh, nice that, plug. That is a personal plug. Cause the Rosen family owns it. Yep. Um, <laughs> hey, what are we doing next week? What are we doing? Let me tell you, we, we, we picked one episode per season where we each get a personal choice. Pick any movie that came out this year that we want to talk about. Next week is Josh Bell's pick. Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which I'm very curious to hear what Jason has to say. Uh, I think it'll be an interesting discussion. So tune in for that. And thanks for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Thank you for listening to Awesome Movie Year. Make sure to follow Awesome Movie Year on Facebook, at Awesome Movie Pod on Twitter, and at Awesome Movie Year on Instagram. And all points west. 